Welcome to Paper Team, a podcast about television writing and becoming a TV writer. I'm Alex Friedman, aka TV Calling. And I'm Nick Watson on Twitter at underscore NJ Watson. And today we're going to be talking about turning that shiny new outline that you have into a first draft, perhaps even more. And we're going to be talking about our own tricks, tools, and processes that we go through to expand those small details that you have in the outline into full-blown scenes. This one weird trick. Screenwriters hate him. (laughs) You two can make millions of dollars. It was just this one strike. Be a good writer. Bam. Can we talk a little bit about the difference between what is an outline versus a draft? An outline is essentially a blueprint for the writer. It's staying with them, and they're going to use that to help inform the script, whereas the script is more of a blueprint for production. And though its purpose is functional on that level, it also has another purpose, especially when you're writing your own original specs and things like that, of having to be a compelling experience and read in and of itself. It's going to be amazing just by itself. I've said it a few times now, but I think the outline is almost more of an intellectual exercise in the sense that it's primarily there to convey the story in a structural and coherent way to either you, as Nick pointed out, the writer, or even production before you get to draft. But it's kind of a bird's eye view of the entire picture because you're still figuring out each scene, but more so what happens in them from the story and character perspective, rather than a truly fully immersive, cathartic experience. So really like what we're talking about here is turning something that is a well thought out piece of content and almost like a bullet list into something that is almost of an art form in and of itself. It's like at college when you would do an outline for an essay with all your dot points and now you got to go in and actually write the essay. That sounds way more boring than, than their writing is. Although wait, <laughs> is writing boring? That is the question, isn't it? The main point of this entire episode is we're turning an outline into a draft that is meant to be an entertaining experience, not on a production level, but really for the reader and the person you want to read. Yeah, you're basically breathing life into this thing. And we should note that this is not a polished draft for the network. This is really just about starting to get that feedback and starting the process to turn it into a finished product. So you have your outline, you want to get a draft on the page, where do you start? What's the big picture? For me, the outline is kind of a puzzle, right? I'm filling in the corners, the tent poles, the cliffhangers, the act breaks, the teaser, and so on, before going into the centerpiece and kind of all the beats. Whereas I feel like I approach the script more almost from a character perspective. Although I could write the scene sometimes non-linearly, I do tend to do it linearly based on each story, right? The A story, the B story, the C story, and then bring myself to experience that story through that specific character, right? Because every story is based usually on a specific character. So I'm going from scene one to scene three, maybe if you don't see them for a few scenes. But really, it's about tracking what that character or characters are feeling and experiencing and where I've left them last time. And it's also, I think, the best way to see if I can track easily the story itself and pick up any loose sense that may appear. And I think that is at that point that your story should obviously make sense. But I think if it doesn't, it will really stick out to you if taking the example of some kind of procedural If a detective comes to a weird conclusion based on the previous scene, it will really stick out that, oh, wait, there's like a clue missing right here or some dialogue scene that's missing. And the flip side, you will also probably notice some redundant beats that you're maybe treading water or just repeating statements over and over again. But what about you, Nick? 
I usually start from the beginning. In particular, I think a strong opening is the key to a good script. It's your teaser or your cold open. It really draws the reader or viewer in and answers the question of why should I read or watch on. Therefore, it's important to focus on making that opening really great. That said, a good teaser does require foreknowledge of what it's actually going to be setting up and how that's all going to pay off later, which you should already know from your outline. But, you know, I often just go through in a linear fashion until I get stuck on something, at which point I skip ahead to the next scene or put a little few asterisks there and come back to that later when I cut the solution. But I have often used that technique of writing the most interesting or important scenes first and then filling in the gaps around that. Particularly if something in a key scene could change or inform what leads up to it or comes after, you don't want to waste all that time writing all the connective tissue only to have to throw it all away and then start all over again because you had a great idea when you got into a really meaty scene and you changed something. Part of it is also what gets you most excited about writing, I, th- I think, right? Because if all you want to write is those iconic pieces, then go for it first. I agree with Nick on that. But sometimes I think you may be put off by writing almost the expositionary scene more so, yeah. and those are the most boring. But I think there's an opportunity there after you've written those kind of interesting set pieces, then you can go back and almost set up the exposition in a more organic way. Yeah, you uh, can put you know, more into those scenes and layer things in there knowing what it's building up to. Right. But it's also, like Alex said, just a good technique for keeping you excited and motivated when you are encountering those difficult or time-consuming scenes. For me as well, it also helps a lot when you're working with a writing partner to be able to split up scenes or sequences and then go away, write them separately, and then come back and put them together. Just be careful to sit down together afterwards and do a pass to really smooth over all the inconsistencies, whether that's narratively, tonally, or even just in your personal writing style. So you don't want it to feel like a Frankenstein screenplay. Well, I was going to ask you, Nick, what is the worst example of that? What is the worst example of one scene being in your writing style and this other scene being in Kelly's writing style and then not meshing at all together. I can't think of like an immediate example off the top of my head, but I think that it becomes particularly pronounced when maybe it's like a brand new original spec and you guys are still really working everything out. And maybe you two have different ideas of what character sounds like or is like as a character. And so you go off and you write these two different sections and then the character is behaving or acting or even speaking very differently in both of those sections. And then you realize, oh, wait, we need to get on the same page about who this person actually is and how they function. Usually the story stuff is easier to smooth over, but if you have any inconsistencies consistencies on those deeper levels. It's good to be able to pick those up if you've both gone off and had different ideas about what you're actually doing. I think you mentioned it in a previous episode, but how do you guys split up scenes? Is it by act? Is it by character? It really just depends on the piece and what we're excited about writing and that kind of thing. We just play it by ear. I call dibs on that awesome cliffhanger. Sometimes it's as simple as like, all right, you do act one, I'll do act two, or you do the first half, I do the second half. Sometimes it might be, here, you just do this sequence this week, and I'll do this other one, that kind of thing. How often do you guys play act every character (laughs) with each other? We do a lot of read-throughs when we sit there, and then we will pick certain characters, and we will act it out, but then we'll go through and change them over again, because it's actually a really good way to see different interpretations on how those characters' lines could be read, or even how the action flows and that kind of thing, to have two different people reading them through and then switching back and forth. So we kind of looked at the overview of getting into that draft, but how do you approach a scene? What's the more micro aspect of your draft writing process? When I approach a scene, I usually try to set it with a strong image or action. I want to really paint the situation that goes in that situation comedy. So I try to make it active and interesting. I really avoid people sitting down or standing in a room or talking on a phone wherever possible. Think about how can you make it as interesting to watch as it is to listen to. Even just a slight change of setting or what the characters are doing can make something a lot more dynamic. Is it really more about almost the visual comedy or is it just about the scenery itself and setting up visual in the mind of the reader? 
it's both. I think that the visual comedy is very important and something that people should always be looking out for, even on a multi-cam where you're stuck with certain backdrops and whatever. You can still have characters performing action, things going on within the scenes that make it more interesting. But aside from that, knowing what is happening action-wise and visually will also help you really jump into that dialogue and interplay between those two things. For me, I tend to like the more vivid kind of visual moments and scenes are more of the temple moments, like the opening of a show or closing of a show of cliffhangers and act breaks, because I feel like those are more almost story-based and they're the ones that are going to hook the reader into the story and the script. But for everything else, which is primarily, I feel like, character interaction, then I will tend to run the dialogue in my mind or even write it through just to get the script started. Even if at that point the repetition doesn't really matter, it's really just about finding the beat and really getting to the core of that scene fast. And when I look at a scene and I don't necessarily know what angle I'm going to go through, then I'm always going back to the basics and figuring out what is the point of that scene? Why is it there? And usually there are multiple reasons for it. It could be a narrative level, it could be on a thematic level, or just for character development. Hopefully it's multiple reasons. It's not just one of those. A lot of people go in through thinking, oh, what does the character want? And that's the first point of attack. But in my mind, I think that should come after, on a meta level, why do you have this scene in the first place? Which hopefully you should have figured out through the outline. But I know that sometimes I do get stuck. In that case, my angle of attack is more about finding what is the ambiance and the setting of that scene. And I think I mentioned in a previous episode my almost like litmus test when I break a story and figure out a pilot. And that is to understand what my show is by summarizing it in one word, one thematic word. Then I use that word as a litmus test to cut down and pare down the scenes to really get to the core of the characters and the story and everything. I think that works too on the scene level. If you look at Game of Thrones, in my mind, Game of Thrones is about power. And every successful Game of Thrones scene is a variation on the theme of power, be it a literal battle or, you know, various and little finger discussing how they influence who gets the throne. And I believe that Big uh, Big Brother, not Big Brother, Breaking Bad, <laughs> Breaking Bad is about- Same thing. Same thing, right? Breaking Bad is about consequence. Every scene is some variation of a character, mostly Walt and Jesse, obviously, dealing with the consequences of what they have done thereby creating new conflict and kind of culminating in one of the greatest seasons of television. I like that notion a lot that every scene should be in a way like a microcosm or a fractal of your larger show and episode and things like that. It's almost like a piece of DNA. You can recreate the whole thing from that one piece. I think that's a good way of figuring out kind of the dynamic in the scene, even on a character level. There's one writing advice that I will always remember. That is when you're writing a scene between two people, there's always one person who doesn't want to be there. And that creates inherent conflict. If you look at any scene, any good scene, really, of any TV show, any drama, I feel like you will always find this almost power dynamic where one person doesn't want to be there, but is either forced to listen to that other person or doesn't want to listen to that other person. And there's inherent conflict in there, even if it's on a very subtle way, but like even a parent talking to their child in their room, I think the child probably doesn't want to be there or vice versa if the child wants to talk to their parents. Even on Game of Thrones, I feel like if a character visits this other character in prison, then I think there's definitely this dynamic of this guy stuck in the cell versus this other person who is free and do whatever he or she wants. It's like our good friend Robert McKee says about the balance of power. It's kind of like a seesaw thing, like someone starts in a lower position of power and the end of the scene, they end up in the higher one or vice versa, things right. like that. Reiterating a few things that Alex said there, but from a comedy perspective, when I really just want to get into a scene immediately, I'm having trouble painting a picture of what's going on. Sometimes I just do dive right into the dialogue. I don't even bother setting up the scene. I'll 
I'll come back and do that later. Particularly for half-hour comedies, and especially in multicam, this dialogue is going to be the crux of your scene anyway. So then you can kind of find the fun ways to insert actions and visuals to build around that later, knowing that that structure is there. Kind of like what Alex was saying, know what your character's respective goals are in the scene. Like, what is getting in the way of that goal, and what action are they trying to take to overcome that? The result of that is going to be how your scene plays out, and this will factor into the scene's purpose in the overall narrative. You should know, for example, that this scene is the scene where Bob tries to ask Mary Sue to the school dance and gets rejected in front of the whole school, but also know the context of what led up to this moment and caused the character to, or characters to take that action, and how the result of this scene is then going to have a cause and effect flow into the next scene and the one after and the one after that. So if this scene has no bearing on the script one way or the other, it can probably be removed and shouldn't be there. I just love that your character is called Mary Sue, and she's being asked to this cool dance. This is like some like 80s, uh, <laughs> borderline got 50s. Some, some Pleasantville on my mind or something. <laughs> Pleasantville, yes. It's interesting the way we each go about digging into the scene. And also on a practical level, personally, when I write dialogue, I kind of have this crappy notepad app window open on my computer that I just kind of jot down the dialogue bare bones, like just the lines, the back and forth to get me started. And this isn't about putting out masterful lines that are going to be quoted for eternity. It's really just about finding the rhythm. Of the night. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, copyright lawsuit incoming. Even John August called it a scribble version of the scene or of the dialogue. It's kind of a mess of a line that if someone else were to read that, they probably would not understand any of it. But it makes sense to you, which is the only thing that matters at that point. And I think it's a good way to figuring out that dynamic that we keep talking about between the characters, as well as almost the beat of the whole scene where you alternate between dialogue and prose and prose and dialogue and dialogue. It's hard to really describe, but when you get down to it, it's almost like music in a way. If you ever need filler dialogue like that, you can literally just write the character saying the subtext, even if they wouldn't. Sure. They just write, I hate you and I want you to die or whatever. And you can come back and then find the best way to say that subtextually. I do hate you and I really want you to die. <laughs> That's <laughs> perfect. <laughs> perfect. Of course, I will also visualize what this scene is. I don't know if I'm the only one doing this, but I do like to close my eyes and almost run the movie or the TV show in my mind or the scenes. I don't know if you do that, Nick but maybe I'm just a crazy person. <laughs> but I do like to kind of visualize and that also clues me into the length of the scene. If it's just something that's really long and really drawn out versus something that's really focused on a, a beat or a moment or a visual. Before I even put pen to paper, or I should say a finger to keyboard, that's one way I think about the scene and the draft. Yeah, I think my version of that is, as I was saying, doing the read-through with Kelly usually, but I was listening to a script notes the other day, and John August was talking about how he'll often like read dialogue to himself in the mirror and like watch himself saying it, and then how it would react and stuff, so that's another way that you can try. Is he taping himself? <laughs> Maybe. It's <laughs> a weird fetish. <laughs> So now that you have a bunch of scenes and arguably a vomit draft of some kind, what do you look for when you're first looking over that vomit draft and refining the script? Assuming the structure's all in place because we had a solid outline and we've gone through the drafts, particularly with comedy, I'm always looking for opportunities for jokes and gags. Aside from just making things funny and enjoyable, they also help to disguise the moving parts of your scene, those purely functional lines where, going back to our previous example, Bob is like, okay, I'm finally doing it. I'm asking Mary Sue out. And you're disguising that with kind of humor and character, either in the line itself or the ones that proceed or follow it. For example, that line might now become Bob saying, okay, I'm finally doing it. I'm going to ask her to hate me. I mean, date me. Or Bob says, okay, I'm finally doing it. And Jess says, 
what, putting on deodorant? And Bob's like, no, asking Mary Sue out. And then there's a beat. He sniffs his underarm and recoils. He's like, also putting on deodorant. So if there's ever too much dead air in your script where it's just cogs moving without somehow getting an emotional reaction or investment from your audience, whether that's laughter, intrigue, sadness, etc., look for those opportunities to really elevate it. What kind of deodorant does Bob wear? Axe body spray. Axe body. Oh, my God. For me, in terms of the refinement of the draft, it's really about getting from almost the broad to the defined in the same way that from the outline to draft, you're going to elaborate a one-liner into maybe a paragraph or several pages. It's the same with the prose and the dialogue itself. As I rewrite, I'll usually be replacing general nouns and adjectives with more precise ones, making the prose sharper. I will have some placeholders that I kind of put in when broadly writing the action that I'm just going to replace to make the scene more vivid. So for example, if I write a scene, some guy can't lift a box out of his car then that's going to be replaced by down the line with something like Joe struggles to lift a heavy wooden crate out of his rusty dented Mustang. That doesn't mean you should write prose lines for paragraphs on end, just describing like it's some kind of novel, but I'm still of the mind that brevity is best when it comes to script. However, you still want to convey exactly what you need to convey and get out of that scene. That's kind of the basic of any successful scene. It's still about creating at the end of the day, some kind of compelling image in the head of the reader. It's the same with abstract words with um, being replaced with things that are more evocative, either visually or auditorily. The rule of thumb is usually to appeal to the senses as long as it makes sense and can be conveyed on the screen. You're not going to be talking about the smell of some flowers unless you can see it visually on the face of the person that just like sniffs the flower or something. And it's funny that you say that, you know, in drama, you're looking for ways to make it more prosaic and expand it into that kind of way. Because in comedy, you're often looking for the opposite. I'm usually going through and deflowering the phrases, forgive the pun. Deflowering? Uh, yeah. Uh, and, did, you, did you buy dinner first? <laughs> yeah. And, you know, you're looking for more simple, strong ways of saying things. So it is similar to you being more precise. But it's that Hemingway school of writing. Instead of Sarah wanders over lethargically to the car and slides in, I might go for something more like Sarah drags herself into the car or just Sarah gets in, depending on what the pacing of the scene calls for. Comedy writers really need to edit their action to serve the function more than the aesthetic, particularly when it comes to the rhythm of jokes and gags. The metric of our success is in the laughs that we get at lines and actions more so than you know, the beauty and the thought-provokingness of the read or the moments. That's not to say you can't write prosaic comedy in the action, it's just that it's secondary to what works best for the comedy. For example, you could write some really beautiful prose to set up an image and then instantly juxtapose it with someone taking a loud sh- <laughs> Well, I think it's interesting that you bring the timing of it and the, almost the metric because, again, a script is an experience. So I think the way you write something should convey what you want to write. Or like what you want that person to feel, rather. And I go back to one of the most famous screenplays of all time, the Alien screenplay, which is almost just a bunch of one-liner after one-liners. And that's because it's about conveying that sense of claustrophobia and visual minimalism of the alien holding down on you and slowly killing the people around you. And so if you can translate that to the script, I think that's the best way of doing it. And you brought up the fact of wanting to be more simple and more concise. But I think for drama, a lot of it is about the nuances and what you want that moment to really be about. Is it more of the dialogue? Is it more of the visual and so on? If you brought up like Sarah dragging herself 
to a car, I immediately thought of Wolf of Wall Street, which has a lot of fast-paced dialogue, but then one of the most iconic visual comedy scenes of the entire movie is Leo on Quaaludes dragging himself to his car. And that's a scene that lasts like, I don't know, a few minutes. I've never read the script, and I'm sure in the script it's really like paragraphs of Leo drags himself across the living room, and then the staircase, and then the parkway, and then he finally opens the door to his fancy car. Or Probably lots of white space and paragraphs. Oh, exactly. And, yeah. and I think that beat of leaving it almost open to the mind of the reader gives it a lot of pull more so than just a one line leo takes forever to drag himself to his car in the same way when i replace things and make them more evocative i will also look out for more redundant words and basic verbs like say hear be and so on to really focus on the specifics writing someone is quote saying something doesn't have the same nuance as someone quote declaring something or someone quote yelling something that's a very different way of articulating your thought verbally and this is not exactly what you were saying but one of my pet peeves is when a line of action reads john talks to him and then has the dialogue that he was saying it's like what that's literally what the dialogue is for you don't need to proceed it with that for sure i do think when you read it look out for those kind of fellow content especially in that first pass i also go through removing those empty fellow words in the script that are not really adding anything for the experience kind of an iconic example is the word beat that you see obviously in prose but also in dialogue as stage direction you don't want to be directing the actors for every single beat you don't want to overdo that stuff exactly and i think there are always better ways of conveying either a pause in a character or the way they're feeling or the way they're reacting and so forth than simply just stating beat 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 over and over again. Kelly and I like to catch each other out on things that we repeat all the time and don't notice ourselves doing. I think I use the word just a lot. I think Kelly uses a lot of exclamation marks and things. It's helpful when you have a writing partner to catch each other and be like, wait a minute, this is happening more often than it should. Even in this very podcast, I think I've said you know at least 50 times, but I I know that and I think we all know that. Yes, our fantastic editor Jason gives us a list of things that we should stop saying as much. (laughs) Which we'll never do, really. Uh, And again, now when you're finessing your script is the time to put in your flourishes like your chirons and making sure your scene settings are consistent on a logistical level. And finally, after looking at all these beats and so on, I kind of figure out if there's need to trim and very rarely expand scenes because of the reason behind the scene. For example, is this bit of interaction worth one eighth of a page or is it the centerpiece of the entire pilot? To go back to a classic feature, Heat with Al Pacino and Robert De Niro, you have this iconic diner scene between Al Pacino and Robert De Niro that lasts several pages. And that's because that is the centerpiece of this entire feature. Al Pacino driving over to the diner is not going to be as long or as interesting as him facing off against Robert De Niro. Getting into some frequently asked questions that people might have. Number one, is the outline set in stone? What if you're writing your scenes, then you encounter some structural issues at this stage? Can you go back to the outline then? Think about it this way. If the app Waze tells you to make a suicide left turn on Welshire at 6 p.m. on a Friday, are you really going to follow the instructions to the letter? Or are you going to use common sense and not do that because you don't want to die in traffic? (laughs) If you want to be a successful TV writer, I think it's vital that you are able to adapt and adjust to whatever is thrown at you. That includes your own writing and that includes your own outline and scenes that may or may not make sense. You need to view the character's and the story as being malleable to some extent. An outline isn't meant as some kind of prison or commandments that you need to follow by the letter. 
it's actually meant as an opportunity for you to figure out the story and the broad points of that episode. And then once you get to draft, to be free enough to really be creative in those scenes and those dynamics. And that is why, if you think about it, there's not that many page one rewrites in TV. That's because people have figured out the outline. So to answer your question, I barely answered your question, Nick, but basically, yes, you could go back to outline, but I feel like if you're going to have some structural issues, it's either A, your outline wasn't done properly, or B, it's only a specific structural issue based on either logistics or some of the B and C stories, or even the A story, but not really the or overall rewriting process. So I think if you figure out those beats, you may not have to go back to square one. The structure is there as the scaffolding of a building so that you have the ability to stand there and build the room. No one's ever going to be like, oh, no, I'm sorry, we decided we can't put this bathroom in anymore because the scaffolding was already there. And it's like, well, remove the scaffolding. <laughs> Do what is best for the end product. For sure. Now, moving to more like production related questions, should I number my drafts, first draft, second draft, final draft, maybe, and put it on the script cover page? No, only ever really do that internally for yourself and or for someone that you're working with on the script, like your agent, your manager, maybe a producer or an exec if you're developing it. So even then, the date will usually just do that job for you. And any script you need to send out to anyone should just be your quote unquote first draft. You're just that brilliant. But there's no need to actually write first draft on the front page in oh most God. instances. <laughs> yeah, I feel like it looks so amateur if I get a script that just says first draft. Or even worse if it says 10th draft or something. Oh it's like, wow, this is the best you come with after 10 drafts you don't want people to know that <laughs> even if it says final draft that means if i see some issues there's going to be hell to pay because it's like wait this is supposed to be the final draft and there's all these issues there is no it? such thing as a final draft which is you know <laughs> anyway, ironic so continuing on that turn of thought what if i just got this brand new spanking final draft and there's all these cool options like blue pages yellow pages pink pages purple pages what should I put them in? What should I do with that? You should use all of them all the time to make your script pretty. Damn. No, uh, you should Rainbow definitely, script. <laughs> should definitely not use those. They're only appropriate when you're working on a show or a feature and the script coordinator or supervisor or producer deems it appropriate. They are tools strictly for production. There are a lot of those fancy quote-unquote final draft tools and settings that aren't particularly useful to you when you're writing that spec pilot especially when you just want to get that first vomit draft done. And even on the refining stages, the only thing I like to do is take a look at some of the stats reports on the app because I want to make sure my lead characters are actually talking more than some just random guest star. But I feel like that's just me really being into numbers and percentages than something that's actually useful or productive. What if I've just finished my very first draft and I've just typed fade out? Should I send it away to everyone I know right now? 100% yeah, no. No, don't do that. <laughs> Nothing else to add besides yeah, don't do that. It's obvious that you should leave it for a while, come back to it with fresh eyes and refine it. So if you want more information on that, see our episode eight, Building Your Reading Onion, for a more in-depth answer about who you should send it to and when. So Nick, let me ask you this. You've done your draft. You've maybe written feed. Actually, probably not feed. I probably wrote like end of pilot or end of episode. Is your draft ready to go? Is it done? When do you consider something done? Usually when I'm sick of working on it and I don't feel like further edits are actually making any real progress. I think that sometimes it's okay to acknowledge that there are issues in the script and that you're okay with leaving them in, or it would take too much work to fix. For example, rebreaking the entire story just to fix something. Ideally, as we said, if you've outlined properly, this won't happen, but sometimes you miss things or problems are more subjective or nuanced. It's fine to leave a script in a good enough state until it's worth your time to rework. For instance, once you start working with an agent, 
agent or a manager or a producer or a development exec who's already going to have their own thoughts and notes anyway. I.e. once you're being paid for it. A hundred percent. When I read new scripts for my job, I don't usually mind if there are a few issues with the script. In fact, I kind of expect it, but the rest of the script should have already done a good enough job at drawing me in and selling me on the world and the characters and the writer's voice and ability that I won't care and I will happily go and tell that writer what needs work. I feel the big thing still is typos. I mean, this is amateur hour if you have a bunch of typos and grammatical mistakes in the script because that's just writing one-to-one. That's not even the structural part. That's not even the story. That's really something that if you proofread your script, those issues are going to jump out. The difference between it's and it's or there and there and so on, I feel like those personally as a reader really bugs me when I see them. It's about instilling confidence in the reader that you know what you're doing. And if it's riddled with typos, then they're not going to give you benefit of the doubt anywhere else. But there is also something to be said for over-editing in the same way as it can happen with film. You don't want your script to feel sterile. It should still have a sense of tone and of your voice as a writer. You don't want to strip everything out and leave only the cog work. Find places to help complement and refine what you're going for. That's why rewriting and refining is often called a polish. You're just making what's already there stand out more. That said, you know the old saying, you can't polish a turd. So make sure what's there is actually worth polishing. At the end of the day, it needs to be a compelling piece of work that is entertaining for the reader, not just an abstract blueprint. That It's not abstract art, is it, Nick? No, but yeah, you're right. In particular, for original pilots, the goal is definitely more just to grab someone's attention and give them an enjoyable read, unless you're being paid to turn out a script for a production, you know, that can always come later. It's always about getting paid, isn't it? Let's move on to the takeaways for today, so... Alex? Number one, while an outline is a functional story overview, the goal of the draft is to transform that outline into a compelling experience for the audience. Number two, everyone works differently, but there are certain common tools and tricks that you can use to help flesh out your scene work, like some of the ones we mentioned. Number three, keep in mind where each scene fits into the macro structure of a script and how it will affect and be affected by the scenes that come before and after it, especially if you are writing out of order. And four, only you can decide when your draft is ready. Only you can prevent forest fires. That's right. But you should just weigh your internal judgment against your external obligations. There's no such thing as a perfect script. Except mine. (laughs) Do you have any resources, Nick? Yeah, I mentioned Hemingway before. So here's something along those lines. There's an app called Hemingway Editor. What it does is you copy and paste your prose into it. And the app will highlight long and complex sentences and common errors. For example, if you see it'll highlight it in yellow, you need to shorten or split it up as a sentence. You see a red highlight, it's probably pretty dense and complicated. And your reader might get lost trying to follow the meaning of the logic. And you should edit that sentence down. If you could use a shorter word in place of another one, it'll come up in purple. Adverbs are shown in blue. You might want to get rid of them and just pick a more powerful verb instead. And then phrases in green are written in a passive voice. So again, you want to be active when you're writing. Is it that kind of tool that also gives you the reading level in terms of the education level of your prose and your writing? I don't know if that's the same one, but there is a tool like that and it's really cool. Yeah, I think you should write in first grade level, right? And for Hollywood, like the most basic <laughs> vocabulary possible. You'd be uh, surprised. Some of the best fiction, they ran it through that app and it was not written at an incredibly yeah. complex level. And my resource is going to be another website called wordcounter.com. Despite the name, it's not just about counting words, but it's about seeing the frequency of your most used words. This is especially useful when you want to take a look at your redundant words and adjectives and things that you may say over and over and over again throughout your script and replace it with more powerful nouns or verbs. Like the word over in that sentence. Over and over. Damn, man. (laughs) You know know exactly what you're talking about. This is exactly what's happening here. Are you the live word counter? 
Yes, I am Johnny Wildcounter. <laughs> this app is named after me. Uh, <laughs> well, that brings us to the end of our episode. So we would like to thank all of our listeners, as always, for taking the time to listen to us. You can get all the show notes for this episode at paperteen.co slash 28. And we would love some more reviews. So you can find the spot to do those reviews at paperteen.co slash iTunes. That's dot co. And as always, I'm on Twitter at TV Calling. I'm at underscore NJ Watson. If you have any thoughts, feedback, opinion, you can send them to ask at paperteam.co. And what are we doing next week? Well, next week we're going to be talking about now that you have your shiny script and you want to get people to read it and you've hopefully gotten some feedback as seen in the reading onion episode now you want to get some people higher up maybe to be interested in your scripts the next episode is going to be about getting read and how to get people interested in you i.e executives agents managers and so on you should bedazzle the front cover of your script right hard pass and put glitter in every page hard pass <laughs> <laughs> we'll see you guys next week bye